0: We're going to open God's Word now. We're beginning our series in 1 Corinthians but we're starting with Acts, believe it or not. So turn to Acts chapter 18 if you've got your Bible with you or on your phone, one or the other. It's good to have the words in front of you. And we're going to start at verse 1 of chapter 18. After this, all left Athens and went to Corinth Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus and when they opposed and reviled him he shook out his garments and said to them your blood be on your own heads I am innocent from now on I will go to the Gentiles and he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshipper of God his house was next door to the synagogue And he stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of god among them but when galio was proconsul of achaia the jews made a united attack on paul and brought him before the tribunal saying this man is persuading people to worship god contrary to the law but when paul was about to open his mouth galio said to the jews But Galeo paid no attention to any of this.
1: Thanks honey. I uh, just realised there's probably visitors going, why is he calling that woman honey? That's my wife, just to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> just in case they're visiting. Hey, my name is Shabu. I have the great joy and privilege to serve Jesus and Canterbury Gardens Community Church. Um, This morning, uh, I want to ask you to do something and hopefully we'll see how we go with the wind. A Couple of things, one, if you're feeling a bit like, oh, the heat's on me and you need to stand up, please feel free to do that. Up the back, we've just brought out some bottles of water. If you want to go and help yourself, please go ahead and do that as well. Uh, There's no issues with that on our part. Welcome to you if you're also joining us online. What I wanted you to do this morning, whether if it's here uh, on your phone or maybe even thinking about it or maybe online, I want you to write down the names of at least five people who does not know Jesus that you have direct contact with. Five people. If not five, it's okay, it's not a failure. Who are those names that come to mind? It could be a family member, a work colleague, someone you study with whoever it might be, your very neighbour. Have a think about that for a moment. So as you consider that, this morning we begin our series in 1 Corinthians. We as a church like to take our time through different books of the Bible and we're going to begin by looking at 1 Corinthians. And so, I thought we might start at Acts 18. Makes total sense, doesn't it? Uh, if you're new to the Christian faith or you're exploring the Christian faith, the various letters in the New Testament, in the Bible, has a history. It always has a beginning story. And so when we read 1 Corinthians, we need to know, in some sense, and understand, what's their beginning story? How did this church start? Well, this church started, was started by the Apostle Paul, a leader of the early church. One who loved Jesus and followed Jesus all the days of his life. And what we're going to do is, we're going to consider some of the things here in this passage. And before we do, would you join with me in prayer? Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I thank you that you know every single person online, anyone that's here. You know the kind of week we've had and perhaps even the morning we've had. Would you use your word to stir our hearts towards you, Lord Jesus? May we walk away knowing more of your heart for the people that you've placed in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, like I said, this church in Corinth was planted and started by the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Apostle Paul, that was his job. He went around to what's known, as the, um, what's known as the world at the time and planted and started new churches. He did a few trips. Uh, they're known as missionary journeys. And Paul is one of those people, if you read about his story and his life, you would think he's probably the most unlikely follower of Jesus. Actually, he was so passionately committed about destroying anything about Jesus and anyone about Jesus. Yet, Jesus meets him, confronts him with who he is and what he has done. And so you can read about Paul's conversion in Acts 9, and God uses him to preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Uh, Paul's life has changed and from then on he's committed to the single focus to show who Jesus is, to call people to turn to Jesus. There's this language in the Bible uses called repent because of who Jesus is and what he has done. And also he's saying that Jesus will return to judge the world. So Paul has been already on a missionary journey. He's been around the known world at the time now he's on his second missionary journey and we come to this very passage in front of us paul has already been to places like cyprus antioch and Pisidia, iconium listeria derby philippi Thessalonica, berea athens he's been to all these places now why am i right saying those names is to show you that i can read geography books no uh, friends the reason why i'm sharing that with you is the bible is not just god's word it's historical these places and people are real and you can trust God's word because of these things. And so, people have responded to the good news of the gospel in Athens and he now moves on. And you see that in the very first verse, how he moves on. And this is what Paul would do. Paul would go into a city, he'll proclaim the good news of the gospel, people will respond, there was usually opposition as well, and then he would move on. And so, he comes and arrives in Corinth, a place you would think he would move on, but he stays there for a significant amount of time. Now, let me tell you about Corinth. What a city! You can actually read about this in history books if you like. Corinth is described as one of the most wonderful commercial centers of the world of the ancient time. It was also a sports center. Uh, Outside the Olympics, they also had another event, and it was well attended, and people loved going to watch the sports there. It was also a city that was known for its gambling, for the various types of gambling that existed. It was a port city, but it was also a city that worshipped Venus, the goddess of love, which meant this city was known for people practicing every kind of sexual experience that you can imagine all under the arm of religious rights. It was notorious, it was so notorious for the way it was quite loose with its morals and the way that people encouraged to live and enjoy and live as you please. You be you. You enjoy all that you want. There's a proverb that was existed at the time called to live as at Corinth. And that's how you live your life. Uh, The Roman Empire by the time was not really liked, but it was seen as rotten. And the historians say, and this is what I read, which is, I love the line, and it said, Rome looked down upon Corinth as a place of the greatest evil, which is interesting coming from Rome. So corrupt was the Corinthian uh, city and the people that lived there. You can read this again in the history books. They used a language, a verb called to be Corinthianized. That is, to be morally corrupt to the extreme. And I love, even at the start of Corinthians, when Paul says he came with fear and trembling. And you wonder why. And he coming, he's coming into this city with lots of challenges already. Yet, he arrives in the city, and he finds this beautiful couple by the name Aquila and Priscilla. Key people. Now, if you read Corinthians, you'll see their name come up. Uh, they seem to run a business. They're business owners, using our day and term, they ran a camping business, is what I would call it. Uh, And it seems that Paul is also one who knows this trade. He would have grown up with it, it's part of the tradition, you you learn a trade, and so he comes into the city. Uh, The language is that actually Paul goes and looks and he finds this couple, this beautiful Jewish couple who takes them in, this Jewish couple who had to leave the city of Rome as Jewish people were expelled out of that city. So they befriend paul not only do they befriend him but paul ends up working for them and at this moment as he works he works as a tent maker and then also he's reasoning with the jews and the greeks he's sharing the good news of jesus he's trying to convince both jews and greeks those of jewish heritage and those who are not of jewish heritage And the reason why this is something for us to consider as we dive into the letter of 1 Corinthians, you know, remember, this is the Corinthian church. It was going to be a mix of people from different backgrounds, including those who were of Jewish background and those who were not. And that would actually impact the reality of this church. So you want to imagine this community of different backgrounds and cultures coming side by side. And I love how the Lord works in this. You know, God is the one who's leading Paul to this couple. A couple who we know are Christians. Not just Christians. These are significant leaders as Paul ministers to them. As they minister to him. Actually as you continue in that very chapter. You will see that this couple end up discipling a person by the name of Apollos. And you will read about Apollos in 1 Corinthians as well. I love this because it is a reminder about what we are about to consider. That God has people everywhere. And this people. God provides Hospitality to Paul provides a place for him to work. And I love it how God uses something that Paul's already skilled with. I want you to think about that for a moment. Here is Paul, committed to the gospel, a man of skills of tent maker, and he comes into a foreign city and they meet a couple who is a tent maker. Random? No. I think it's God's using his very skills, and he's using that time to work for God and for his glory. Friends, I, I, don't want, I want to make this point. It's not. This is what I think the passage is about. But it's a, a simple reminder for you and I even today, and hopefully it's in a helpful way, that the very work that you do, wherever it is during the week, has value in God's kingdom. It has value in God's kingdom because more than the skill you've been placed in that place, as God's representative, to be his witness, to proclaim his good news, the gospel, both in the word and the way that you live out as well. And this is the very purpose here, that God uses Paul in this moment, in this season. And so what does Paul do? He does what he's very good at. He reasons to convince who Christ is. So we have Aquila, then we have Priscilla, and then in verse 6, we have the ones who were always often with Paul and Silas and Timothy. They joined Paul and because they came along most likely it freed him up now to invest more time in reasoning, in particular at that time, for those of Jewish heritage, of who Christ is. And how did it go? Did it go awesome? Have a look at Acts 18, verses 5-6. to When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled, and he shook out his garments and said to him, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. I think Paul likes to speak his mind. It's a moment from humanly speaking... It sounds like a failure of a mission trip, but it's not. It shows the reality of the hardness of heart. It shows the reality of when we proclaim the good news of the gospel, there's hardness there. And it's a reminder that God has to do a work. And that very language of Him saying, blood be on your own heads, I am innocent, is actually, particularly to the Jewish audience that he's speaking to, should have made their ears and hearts prick up and go, I've heard this before. It's Old Testament language. It's language where uh, the Old Testament uh, writers talk about it's like a watchman who's proclaimed about who God is. And the response is a negative response. They don't turn to God. And this is the statement Paul is making. He's saying, I bought the good news, and you're pretty much blaspheming that Jesus is not the Christ, that it's not true. And so that's why he does this very strong language, your blood be on your own heads. It's like he's shaking um, his very garments as well, most likely. And this is connected again. This is nothing new. Jesus actually spoke of this. If you read in Luke 9, Jesus calls his 12. He sends them out with power and authority. And they are to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And he says to them, don't take anything, nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and do not have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whenever you, they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Now, what am I here telling you? Is that what you do now when someone says, I don't believe in Jesus? You, you know, yell at them and dust off and things. Friends, it's there to show us this, I think. The reality of proclaiming of the gospel means that you will see hardened hearts. But yet, God calls us to be faithful to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And it's a reminder to those who do reject the gospel, there is judgment coming. So Paul literally leaves this context. He moves on to what we're now literally shape his mission from then on to be focused on the Gentiles. And he moves in, literally, to the guy living next door to the synagogue. I love how it's written here. Titus, justice, the worship of God. You can read this in most history books. It seems that Titus has responded to the gospel. It's quite striking. It's a beautiful picture, really. Here is a man who's a worshiper of the God of the Jews. But he's still seen as an outsider, a Gentile. And now he hears the good news of Jesus and what he has done. And not only does Paul come and live with him, it's this beautiful picture of the gospel now coming to live with this outsider who has now been invited to become part of God's kingdom, part of his family. He's no longer an outsider. He's part of God's family. What a beautiful picture. And not only is he the one that responds to this good news, there's another person by the name of Crispus. Not just any person, but he's an official in charge of the synagogue. And not only does he respond, his whole household responds to the good news of the gospel. And not only that, more other Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. It's a beautiful moment of revival in a city. It's perhaps not as Paul planned it, but it's as God has planned it. You have rejection, you have opposition, then you have revival. And friends, this is the birth of the Corinthian church. It's a melting pot of people from Jewish background, non-Jewish background, there are religious leaders, there were those who would have come from pagan worship, there were those who were strict following law kind of rulers, there were those who would have come from background, they just lived as they pleased. There were those who were wealthy, there were those who were poor, there were those who were single, there were those who were married, there were those who were slaves, those who were free slaves. It's a melting pot of various backgrounds. And this is what's kind of underneath all of the letters and what we have in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And so they want to raise these questions as they live together in community for Christ. What does it mean to be a Christ-centered church in a non-Jesus-centered world? And in the midst of this church, there's also this. There's a different kind of reaction that comes out. God now comes and engages with Paul. And he speaks to Paul. See, this is the moment where perhaps Paul would have moved on. And so God speaks to Paul in Acts 18 verses 9 to 11. Have a look with me. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Paul's pattern would have been to plan, he would have proclaimed the gospel, he would have seen some sort of fruit, and then perhaps he would have moved on. But this time, God says to him, stay. And I think it's a beautiful picture of someone who is there and God knows what he needs to hear. He causes him to stay because Paul is moved by the reality of God's promise. Here's a man, I think, with the text in front of us, he most likely would have been afraid. He has come in fear and trembling that he writes in 1 Corinthians, actually. There are many in this city that God has called called them to himself you to remember, this is a challenging city, right? But God is saying, hey, I have many in this city, Paul. Stay. Stay. A year and six months, and he did. And Paul's focus is this. To teach the word, in other words, proclaiming the gospel. Friends, when we read these kind of passages, we go, okay, where is this? I'm not in Corinth, Shibu. Uh This week I was reading some things, and this is what I found. We live in a very unique time here in the city of Melbourne. Uh, It's this moment, according to statistics, when it comes to perceptions of Christianity, you can look this up, MacRindle research, did a whole thing on faith in uh, Australia. When you talk about Christianity, there's probably a few different views what people think about Christianity, even more now than ever. But in general, most Australians see Christians as they're good in that they're a good organization that help people. The homeless, offering financial assistance, food relief programs, providing disaster relief and so on, according to this report. But, 8% of Australian adults, that's 1.5 million, do not know any Christians. While for Generation Y, that's the Millennials, 25 to 40, I'm not in that group anymore, which is really sad. This is almost 1 in 10. 1 in 25, nine Australians have never heard of Jesus. I could go on. I think some of us, for those of us who have been here today, you've lived in Australia, you've grown up in Australia, you've lived in Melbourne, you've grown up in Melbourne, perhaps you're even thinking of leaving Melbourne, just hang on there for a moment. You might even consider, where is the fruit? Let's talk about Melbourne, known as the sporting capital of the world. Let's think about Melbourne. When we talk about gambling, you can watch any sport event now and you can see the various gambling ads that are on there. Let's talk about Melbourne, which has a significant amount of more pokies than any place in all of Australia. Let's talk about sexual ethics and sexuality. We know in our state government, in our parliament, they've actually decriminalised sex work in our state. Let's talk about the brothels that are even in our very city. There are at least two or three brothels in our city, We're talking not far from here. There's, According to the Victorian Knox police, there are at least six that they know of are illegal brothels that are happening in our very doorstep. Sex and sexuality, you be who you are, is actually part of the DNA of our city. I don't think Melbourne's too far from Corinth. To really dig deep. Friends, the beauty of this passage is that if the work of the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus was on your shoulders and my shoulders, we too may be tempted to say, the blood be on your own heads. But we need to consider these words, that God speaks to Paul, do not be afraid. Go on speaking do not be silent because god is with us and in relation to the harm bit here in the context this is specifically for paul but the very principle that god has many in this city who are my people the question i've had to wrestle with all week i'm inviting you to consider do you believe that or perhaps like me we've been listening to this i'm a bit too afraid to proclaim who Jesus is. God, how can I go speaking about your good news of the gospel? I don't think anyone really cares. Lord, I am tempted to be silent, but please I'm more than happy to tell you about my views on politics, the very vaccination issues, the various mandates, the latest TV show, sports statistics, The challenge that you and I might be tempted to do, are we silent about who God is and what he's done? I wonder for many of us, the noise of our culture, the noise of our fear has drowned this very truth that God still saves. And he has many in Australia, in Victoria, in the very city of Maroondah that we're part of, in Killside, actually to the very ends of the earth. who need to hear the good news of the gospel. And this is why I asked you to consider those five people, those friends of yours, family members, colleagues, uni friends, the very groups that you might be involved in, whatever they are, sporting groups, mothers' groups, those who are in the seasons of retirement age, those friendship groups that you're in. In those moments when God has placed you there, what do we talk about the most in the midst of the various things that we talk about? We talk about the good news of Jesus. In other words, what are we most silent about? God has actually placed you in this sovereign plan in that place to proclaim the truth of who God is. And the invitation is, rather the truth is still true, do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Do not be silent. Why are we silent? Can I just share with you? I think I wonder for some of us, it's fear. We forget who is with us who sees the very heart of every person. God is with us, and even more, and particularly in the book of Acts, we know this, that the Holy Spirit, the Helper, has come to live in every believer, even the most afraid, silent one. And to those of us who are very good at speaking and look for every opportunity about who Jesus is, we should proclaim that. Please also invite you to listen to listen to those doubts, to listen to those questions, to continue to point them to Jesus. Uh, This church, Canterbury Gardens Community Church, has existed for quite a few years. And there are many stories, life stories, of people coming to know the Lord in the past. There are those who have come in our church over the last few years and explored the Christian faith and have given their lives in faith. I've been here for almost now, coming up to nine years, maybe ten. Sometimes it's hard to think and consider that God has people, that He's drawing them to Himself. Friends, you and I are called to be in this very city. You are His people. You're His representatives. I want you to know despite of what the narrative is here in our culture, there is work to be done. Do not be afraid. Do not be silent on who Christ is, what he has done, because you know what? Where people will truly find true freedom is only in Jesus Christ. But remember though, as this passage clearly shows, Not to be silent also means there will be those who will not like hearing what you have said. They will become quite angry. And the very passage in front of us says this. The Jews unitedly grab Paul. They're angry. They're fuming. And this is what the pattern is always in Acts. Gospel spreads. Opposition also continues to grow. And often those from those who should respond to the good news of the gospel. But they don't. And in 1 Corinthians, you see this coming up, this issue of division. They accuse Paul of getting people to worship some other God in contrary to what the law says. That is, Paul is saying, worship Jesus. It's about grace. But our customs and rules and regulations will not make you holy before a righteous God. You need a saviour. And so, they're so annoyed that they want to attack him. But the very attack comes with a surprise. You know what, and often I love the way that God works. Uh, Paul is brought before this guy called Galileo. Now I would encourage you, I found this out this week, it was really cool. Was Galileo was actually historic, historically existed. There's actually a park for him uh, in Corinth. And you can look that up and read about it. He was a ruler, he was a proconsul. he presides over the matter of the law. I want you to imagine like this big marble slab. And he's standing up there and people would bring their very issues and they drag Paul in front. And he judges accordingly, particularly in relation to their law. And he literally says to these people, um, Why have you guys got me involved? Uh, this is, has nothing to do with me. He hasn't actually broken our, our law. He hasn't even done a vicious crime. Your complaint is an internal matter. And this idea of internal matter, about each other sorting it out within their church, this comes up in Corinthians. Not only does he kick them out... He actually gets the ruler of the synagogue, well, actually sits back and watches it happen and gets beaten up. It's a challenging picture. Just as the people of God are united, the the enemy is there also to unite others against the things of God. Yet God is ruling over all. God says to Paul, no harm would come to him. You see that in the very verses. He doesn't even have to speak. No harm comes to him. Rather, the one who gets harmed is the one who wanted to cause harm to Paul. It's a reminder to you and I, God is at work. God is at work in this world in the midst of opposition, in the midst of rejection, in the midst of lockdowns, in the midst of mandates, in the midst of various freedoms being restricted even perhaps religious freedom that might be restricted, God is still at work, will continue to be at work, because He's very good at saving souls, even in the midst of opposition. We just need to talk to our brothers and sisters in Christ and persecuted churches to realize that. God is at work. And the invitation to you and I is not to be afraid. Go on speaking. Do not be silent. And these are familiar words that Paul is hearing because it's the very words that the Saviour spoke after his resurrection to his disciples. It says, do not be afraid. The one who has overcome the world, the one who sent the helper, his spirit to indwell in us. Jesus Christ, who is victorious, has sent us out to be his ambassadors as his church in this time, in this place, in this very city, or perhaps even to the ends of the earth. So, friends, as we explore Corinthians, I want you to consider the very many challenges that this church faces. May we see that like a mirror at ourselves and see also the most beautiful truth and the depth of Christ, His cross, the grace, the way God is wide, His church to live for Him to be Christ-centered people. Do not be afraid, but to go on speaking, not to be silent. Because God has many in this city that are God's. And let's not just settle, let's not just kick back, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, step out to live for Christ in whatever season of life you're in, wherever God has placed you. So the question I have for you and for me is, are we afraid? Are we silent? Is there other good news that's become far greater news than the very good news of Jesus Christ? Remember, God is with us, both in joys and in trials and in persecution. God is still there. So remember those names I asked you to consider. Who are those friends? Who are those family members? Perhaps even this year that you commit to praying for them, ministering to them, looking for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. And if you're someone who's fearful, can I invite you to bring that very fear to God? With that in mind, I'm going to invite you just to be still for a moment and bring these thoughts and the scripture in front of you to reflect what God is saying. And then I'll pray for us. Let's be silent for a moment. Lord Jesus, uh, you see every single person here, you know our lives so intimately, you've placed us in those workplaces, in those schools, in this season of life, to be your ambassadors. And we know, Lord, your word is very clear, opposition will come, help us to be bold, not in our own strength, but through the power of your Holy Spirit. And oh Lord, I know there are uh, people here in our church who have been coming, doing the sort of ticking off boxes. Would you stir their hearts to consider their relationship with you? To consider who you are and what you have done. and Perhaps even today that you would save a life, a soul, from darkness to light, through your spirit, through your word. So Lord, as we sing now, may we sing to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.